Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgil. All right, guys, welcome back to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Kujo Virgil, and I'm super excited for our guest today. Our guest is John Rubino. John is a former naval aviator for 20 years and is now the COO, founder, and co-managing partner of JID Investments, LLC. JIDI is a real estate private equity firm that specializes in secure, high-yield returns with minimum risk by providing investment capital to individuals and businesses with viable residential, commercial, and mixed-use real estate business or investment opportunities. And today, his firm has invested in over $25 million on various projects across the U.S. John, so happy for you to be here today. Thanks, John. This is great. Glad to be here and looking forward to talking to you and your listeners. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we met, man, when I was getting into the real estate space, that was like five years ago. Yeah, I was part of a mentorship group and you came to speak to our group and you talked a lot about the fund of funds model, you know, and Mm -hmm. back then I was so green, didn't understand much about real estate, but I'm very excited for you to be on the show because you are an expert in this space. But before we touch on that, you know, kind of give us a little bit about your backstory, your journey to where you got to, you know, where you are today. Thanks again for having me on the show. Like you said, you know, I served in the Navy for 20 years as a pilot. I was born and raised in, in New York. I uh, went to college in New York, graduated a long time ago when I had a lot more head in my, hair on my head. And I became, uh, I got a commission through the Navy after the four years of college and went down to uh, Florida to start my journey as a Navy pilot. And it was a 20 year career where I had a, an amazing time. Started out as a single, you know, cocky guy who thought that Top Gun was the greatest thing since like sliced bread. And 20 years later, married with four kids. I'm going to go into college next week and and a business owner. So a lot's happened since then. I got involved in real estate probably back in 2003, 2004 timeframe. A couple of friends and I uh, who were stationed at the time down in Southern Maryland, St. Mary's County, decided that we wanted to get into real estate. A couple of them had some experience and we kind of targeted new construction homes. At the time, the Navy was relocating a, a large conglomerate command down there in Pax River. And so that was going to bring a lot of people, a lot of businesses, and um, all the things you typically look at in a growing market. And so the, uh, the real estate market was prime. We got involved with some new construction home builders. And I got to build two new construction properties while I was stationed down there. And had a blast. I enjoyed doing it. Got to see the active side of managing the day-to-day, watching the construction budget, talking with the builder, making sure everything was kind of done right. And so when I got done with the properties, you know, we, we were all in for $280,000, let us say, on the first one. And two weeks before closing, I sell it for $360,000. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. I like this. You know, rinse and repeat, pressing that button. But I got done about 2006. I decided to continue my Navy career as about the 10-year point then and went overseas for three years with my family to, to uh, be at a tour down in Naples, Italy. So I was overseas for three years, stationed there. And um, what I did was I took a lot of the money I made both on the investment side while I was actively investing in the property that I owned at the time, which was a primary resident. And I invested passively with um, some of my very close friends. 
of which uh, some today are you know hundred million dollars of uh, development businesses and that I work with today as well. But we started a great relationship. I kind of provided some seed capital to get their businesses going, and they started out small, you know, single family renovation, condo conversion, anywhere from three to five to eight units in the DC area. And my capital really helped them get started and get them kind of moving in that direction to grow their business. I was making about a 10% a year return over a seven-year period, so 70% total. But the most important thing, I think, as well as getting a return on my money, was just learning the business, learning and understanding passive real estate investing, looking at demographics, studying the markets that we're investing in, understanding why those markets were really primed for for investment. Uh, I was looking at the performas and budgets and looking at packages were put together offering memorandums and just really getting a good sense of why these were good investments. And so fast forward to 2011, I got relocated back here to the DC area. I was working right outside the Pentagon with the Navy headquarters staff. And I knew that, you know, five, six years away, I would be retiring from the Navy. After 20 years, I would, you know, be uh, looking at either working for the government as a government employee or uh, as a contractor, or I had the opportunity to maybe become a business owner and try out the entrepreneurial side. You know, I come from a, a line of, of owners and biz, business owners and entrepreneurs in my family. It's always been in my blood. And I decided, you know, around 2012, I wanted to stand up my own business. And I had an idea that I wanted to take this same model that I had investing passively for, you know, 10 years, seven to 10 years and bringing it to friends and family, people that were interested in partnering with us to invest on residential mixed use and commercial real estate projects with folks that we partner with, folks that I was investing with when I was passively investing, but at a larger scale, people that were doing large multifamily, whether it be condo, uh, townhouse or apartment with some maybe mixed use retail, folks that were doing development projects, folks that we could help bring in a level of capital that really allowed them the opportunity to you know execute their plan, execute their project. So in 2012, I got with some very smart people who are a lot smarter than I, uh, one of which was my accountant at the time, who then became our CFO. He really liked what I wanted to do. He kind of saw the strategy and he helped me launch it and move it in the direction we are today. And so fast forward, you know, nine years this past April, and we've invested on, you know, 28 projects to date. We actually are now at about $33 million invested, a little more than what I have in my bio. And we're getting into some really interesting projects. You know, we started small, always envisioned us starting small to get our feet wet, to show proof of concept, to have, you know, the track record we wanted to have and show. And, and that gave us, you know, street credit. They gave us validation that what we were doing was, uh, was going in the right direction and that our investors who now are at 180 investors. When we first started, we were around about five to 10. Now we have 180 investors, friends and family, but also public accredited investors, folks that want to participate with us and invest in our projects. And we have about three to four, possibly even five developers and sponsors we've partnered with that have brought those projects into us and shown to us and give us the opportunity to participate. So it's been a great journey and we're growing. We're a growing business. So we hired our first employee about two years ago, a year and a half to two years ago, who's been doing great. 
He manages the communications and investor relations. We brought on Juniper Square, our investment portal now. So we use that as our primary mechanism for CRM and communicating, showing investors their portfolios and how they're performing information management, tax documentation. It's just a great tool. And we also have a consultant that works with us who used to work with Cushman and Wakefield. And he's kind of our director of acquisitions and project analysis. So our team is growing in a nice, comfortable fashion. We see some great projects. We get to work with some great sponsors in different markets across the country. We're focused primarily on DC, Maryland, Virginia, but we're also in Columbus, Ohio, the Carolinas, Florida, uh, Georgia, Tennessee. We're looking at Alabama, Mississippi. So we really like that kind of sandbox mainly because the fact that the population growth there is continuing to expand. We're seeing a lot of business growth. We're seeing a lot of uh, folks moving there because of the fact that it's you know good quality of life, low cost of living, and they're growing really neat areas that welcome business and welcome growth. And we all know we're in a, a pretty robust market right now when it comes to real estate because of the supply levels and the fact that there's not a lot of housing for people. And so that's just providing more opportunity we're very conservative with our underwriting. We want to pencil out a, a 30% plus return on our projects. We want to be able to get our investors, you know, a 15 to 20% a year return on their money as a target. And um, we're raising capital for about a one to $5 million range from the, the total raise where we're going mm-hmm. to investors who are cutting checks for about 25 to 50,000 as their minimum investment. And like you said, you know, we're setting these up as a, SPVs, single purpose vehicles or funds of funds where we go out, we syndicate a deal under a separate entity. We raise the funds for that specific entity. And then we complete a securities 506 B or C reg D as a public security under or private security under those rules. And we provide those private placements to the investors as a mechanism to invest. We typically come in under the ownership entity as a limited partner or a co-general partner. And we have ownership, but again, purely passive. We're not taking part in day-to-day operations. You don't like the tenants and toilets? <laughs> no way. Not yet. Not yet. We're, we're looking to get there. But right now, we like what we do. I mean, our investors love the fact that you know we have projects that earn them those type of yields. Again, we like to under, underwrite a grand slam and a home run. And that way, if we hit a triple or a double, we're still walking away with a very solid return. So... That's the business model and happy to talk more about it some more in depth. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Congrats on your uh, growth. And I mean, that's there's so much to Thank unpack you. there. So so let's yeah. start with this. So you started off on the in the passive investment space. Talk about how that helped you kind of switch into the, the fund of funds model from a perspective of just having that experience, knowing yeah. what it feels like to be a passive investor, because that's another thing too, right? It's right. It's easy to raise money for a deal, but it kind of hits home differently when you've been in that person's shoes. Like, how did that help you create the due diligence processes that you have today when evaluating sponsors? Yeah. So when I first started, like I said, I was actually active. I was looking for renovation properties, foreclosures, probates, you know, typical stuff that someone who wanted to get into the investment world and crack into it was looking at as an active investor. When I got into the new construction side, you know, it really showed me the day-to-day operations requirements and um, the fact that, you know, I'd have to be more an oversight on the properties. And, and the fact that I w- was continuing my Navy career, I didn't have the time to be able to do it full-time like I do now. But then learning, like you said, the passive side, I really got the chance to see 
how I could be involved in something, but not at the same time having a lot of the liability that the sponsors take on, the borrowers take on, like recourse debt. You know, if they go out and get a bank debt, uh, the bank debt as far as recourse and being personally you know, liable or having recourse liability if the project doesn't perform. Having to deal with the day-to-day operations, like you said, tenants and toilets or the contractors showing up late or just you know the stress and the headache of dealing with that day-to-day. We still have oversight on that. We still get you know quarterly, monthly reports from our sponsors. They walk through the goods and the bads and we walk through those together to make sure we find a solution. But not having to be that focused in a way that I'm totally active has definitely made it more of a more of a, of a strategy that I wanted to align to with this business to make it passive. And so, you know, you have pros and cons on both sides. I think I just really laid out the pros of uh, being passive versus being active. You know, on the active side, you do have ownership, right? You control the property, you make the decisions, you're there day to day, you're overseeing management. So you're really, you know, the, the central point of that project. And a lot of people like that. They want to be able to control the deal. They want to be able to control, hey, we were going to be condos, but now the market shift and we got to be apartments. And that's the decision making that as an active investor you have. But then you take on a lot of, again, those risks, the recourse debt, the day to day operations that you got to take on, you know, trying to hit your budgets when you have a hundred million dollar budget, you know, making sure that you're within 5% or 3% of that budget is very important, right? Because that can impact your returns and your profit. On the passive side, you know, one of the, some of the things that are maybe uh, on the, on the con side or the negative side, not even negative, but just, you know, less control, right? You're purely coming in with money. You're purely involved on more of the passive end of the business. You're really focused on profit and, and making sure that your returns are hit and you're taking into consideration the risks to your money, most importantly, right? Cause that's the biggest thing that you can lose in a deal like this is your money. And if you don't come in knowing, you know, what your risks are versus the rewards versus, you know, your primary exit strategy to liquidate come out versus others in case, you know, the road goes this way, vice this way is very important. You have to have that, you know, information in your back pocket to know. And that's what we do. Our company is designed to bring the sponsor to the table, introduce the sponsor, why we like them, why we partnering with them, why we've built a relationship with them. That's number one. Number two is why their deals are attractive from what we've seen and how they've performed from what they say they would do on previous deals. And then why we like the deals that they're bringing to us now, the market, their experience, their ability to navigate through jurisdictional legalities and and the government pressures they deal with for permitting and getting the designs approved. That's all part of what we need to be sure to do so that when I bring a deal to my investors, my 180 investors who have the option to invest, never the obligation to invest, they then get to see what we do. They get to see those projects. And my goal is to get it to them on a silver platter, you know, with 85 to 90% of the due diligence done so that they can go off and just make sure everything lines up and get as involved as they want. You know, they want to come to see the property, come on down. Do they want to, you know, jump on a Zoom call with us? Let's do it. We've done live presentations now in our deals. We have our investors there who ask questions. We're very transparent. We want to make sure that they have everything they need before they invest and preferably to bring them on as investors before we actually have a deal. So they get to see everything we've done, just like we get to see everything the sponsors do before they bring us a live deal. We do the same thing with our investors. We want them to be comfortable with us and they like that process. Yeah, that's really good. I think the importance is due diligence as a passive investor, right? Very important. Uh, Knowing who you're investing with Mm-hmm. And also the business plan execution risk is something Absolutely. that's extremely important, I think, in today's environment when we 
We do have the supply and demand, you know, leverage in the market from having more demand than there is supply. But I think in this environment today, when we talk about where interest rates are and other, you know, macroeconomical factors, there's a heavy, there should be a heavy focus on execution, right? I don't think we're in a, a decade where it's, you know, you buy a property yesterday and then you can just 2X your capital, you know, in two years, right? There's yeah. a ton of capital looking for multifamily deals. People are trying to cut the fat off to make deals pencil, a whole bunch of different strategies to get the same returns that we saw 10, 10 years yeah. ago, right? And although I think that's that might be an aggressive business plan, but the point is due diligence. And I would imagine that you likely have some step-by-step method of how you evaluate sponsors, right? Yeah. So across the board. Just being from the Navy, you can imagine checklists galore, you know, just, you know, processes that we try to kind of use as a benchmark. You know, we, we have a pretty easy formula to decide whether or not, you know, it's a good sponsor and opportunity is, um, you know, what's the experience of the sponsor? What's the asset class they're bringing to us? How many times have they done that asset class before? You know, if you got a multifamily a sponsor who's bringing you storage right away, there should be a, hey, well, why are you bringing me storage? You're a multifamily guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, we want to try something new, but, you know, that's something to kind of look at. But asset class, their experience, their track record, all of that kind of is under the sponsor's expertise, right? Mm-hmm. And then the second thing, obviously, is location, 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 you know, making sure that the location is where we want to be. It's in our backyard. It's in that kind of sandbox I mentioned of those locations that we go after. The third thing really is, okay, what are the returns versus the risk? You know, time risk, money risk, execution risk, you know, production risk, performance risk. You know, we're looking at all that to make sure that the returns match the risk on paper. And then, you know, from what we know of the markets we're in and what we can see from initial looks of the numbers is, how, like you mentioned, do the numbers pencil out on paper from what the sponsor's showing versus what the market's showing? And, and if we can kind of get through those initial stages, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at two deals right now in Charleston, South Carolina. And, you know, we had a great meeting with the sponsors yesterday, came as a warm handoff, which I always love from people that are good and know who you are. Great conversation. They're very open to sharing all the information, as are we. And, you know, it started off really well. And now, you know, we're looking at the performance because on paper, the numbers look really good. Now we're digging in a little bit more to the details. And if we like these two deals, then it's going to be okay. You know, game on. We got about, Mm -hmm. you know, say a week before we really want to give these guys a heads up because we don't want to waste their time. And we don't want to, you know, show that, hey, we really like your deals. And then a week later, ah, you know what? Do this. So... Those are kind of just some of the top tip of the iceberg stuff before we really dig in and start looking at rent, rent appreciation, cap rates, vacancies, um, occupancies, you know, what's the historicals versus what's the actuals? What's the 30% cut? Where's the stress test? Where do we break even? Those are then, you know, the heavy moving parts that we need to bring forward and then get it ready for our investors, you know, put it together in a way that they see it and understand it as well as we do. If you're interested in passively investing in high-quality real estate opportunities, then join our investor group at Merlin, M-E-R-L-Y-N-N, acquisitions.com slash invest for direct access to carefully vetted real estate opportunities. Or head over to the show notes and click the link to join. Now let's get back to the show. Those are really good nuggets there. I'm sure the listeners today can really benefit from 
looking at those opportunities from a passive in- investing perspective, but also an active investing yeah. perspective, mm-hmm. right? Because we live in a world today where it's easy to kind of post things on social media, but we really don't know who's who, right? right. And having that detailed system of how you evaluate opportunities is extremely important when we talk about capital preservation and getting that certainty. You know, obviously all investments are not 100% certain, but the point is you want to get the end result that you think that you're going to achieve with that sponsor. Yeah. And after you do a few deals, as you know, you know, you start getting into a, a good, consistent, not complacent, but consistent flow that, you know, as a passive investor, I know what questions I'm coming out of the gate with. Um, just kind of from the top looking down because, you know, I'm going to put my term sheets together and those are going to dictate how I put my terms together. And, but I know that my, our director of project acquisition and analysis is going to go into more in depth to look at, you know, where the appreciation is on the rent rates. You know, is it 2% or is it 7%? Well, has that market appreciated 7% in the last 10 years? Yes or no? You know, so that's where he's going to go in and do that. He's going to put together nice, you know, spreadsheets for us to show us where the break evens are. And then that helps dictate, that helps us dictate the terms we want to go in with. Because, you know, if the sponsor is going to be bullish, right? Mm-hmm. Then we're going to say, well, if you want to be bullish, that's fine. Here's what we see in the market. And so we're going to take our side of the bullish before you get your side of the bullish. Mm-hmm. And that's important because, you know, you want to say to them, okay, you know, put your money where your mouth is. We're yeah. going to protect our money. We're going to get our returns. And then once we hit our preferred return, our pref, you're more yeah. welcome to get your catch up. Yeah. And that's, that's a great segment into what I wanted to jump into next was, you know, someone is trying to put together a fund to fund model, right? A mm-hmm. business plan. You know, how do you get started in that space? You know, what kind of steps, high level speaking, do you have to do to get started from that perspective? And then what do the splits look like in that world? Yeah. So, I mean, I'd always say start small, you know, try to get into a, a single family renovation or, you know, a townhouse conversion or something where, you know, it's not, you're going in as your first deal is 180 apartments and you're looking at spreadsheets and tabs and everything. It just is just a lot of work. And especially if you're starting on your own, you know, you got to have the right team. You got to make sure you have a good accountant, a good attorney. You have the right people to surround yourself with and the business with to make sure that you walk in a successful manner, right? So you should have a good accountant who understands tax laws, capital gains versus income versus depreciation, having at least that relationship with a business savvy type accountant, not TurboTax or H&R Block, no offense, but you know, that these are things that are a lot more complex. You know, there's a lot of good information out there. I'm always a big fan of educate and then train and then execute. So yeah, there's guys out there have done this. There's easy books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all the way to, you know, Grant Cardone who does it for a living and can explain the details. But, you know, just get with the right people have done it before too. You know, find companies that are doing this for a living, find companies that are willing to, you know, give you some mentorship and share some of the things that they've experienced. You know, it, it's taken me, you know, 15 years to get where I'm at and I'm still learning and I'm still growing and I'm still expanding my understanding and knowledge. I learned, I try to learn something new every day when it comes to our business. But at the same time, you know, try to put it into perspective. You know, your business plan should be, you know, how am I going to find these properties? And if I'm passive versus if I'm active, if I'm passive, then who's out there I can help fund. You know, go to go to some crowdfunding sites and see if you could pull up what we call OM. Do you know what an OM is? Offering memorandum a deck on the property and the project. So you can start reading and understanding how these things are put together. You can't fund a deal or raise capital if you don't understand, you know, the different terms and 
what to look for. And after a while, when you go through a couple of them, you start seeing some consistent similarities that you could pull those things out. There's a lot of groups out there too that are doing this. A lot of guys are doing what I'm doing, even more so passively, where they have groups that come in and, and raise funds. You know, the hardest part really, if you want to invest as a passive investor, is whether or not you're accredited or not accredited. So a lot of private groups like ourselves, you know, we don't get a call from someone in California that says, Hey, I'd like to invest with you, but you know, I don't meet the criteria as an accredited investor. I, I can't work with them. Just like, you know, Robert Kiyosaki says he loved what his rich dad and and his, his rich friend talked about, but um, he couldn't invest because he was not accredited. So he had to work towards mm-hmm. getting an accredited investor status. So these are just the things, you know, take a yellow pad out, start, you know, doing some research on different websites, you know, and, and like bigger pockets and different podcasts like yourself, because there's a lot of great information out there. And the biggest thing is stay in your box. Don't try to do everything and bite it all at once. Take little steps each time and put, maybe start out like I did, which, you know, maybe you start as a passive investor. You invest on a few deals, get your feet under you and, and really understand it and then see how, hey, I could do this in my market in Texas or I could do this in my market in Montana or I could do this in my market in Idaho. And mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I think that's the probably the best way to go about it. No, it's really sound uh, advice about how to get into the space. You know, I think people think that, you know, it's challenging to get into these vehicles, but uh, we have a ton of educational resources out there. I mean, I love YouTube University and I'm not, I'm not saying go to YouTube to get legal advice, but it can definitely be a good starting point to start that thought process on how to get started. Right. And then yeah. you take that and then you go to the next level and then, then you go to the next level. You know, there, there are a ton of education out there. So from a fund to fund level economics, you know, what does that look like? in that space. You know, I know sure. from the GPLP side, you know, we do a 70-30 or a 75-25, but at the fun level, and when I say the fun level for, you know, our listeners today who are tuning in and trying to just piece together the fund of funds model from the LP side down to the fun level, what does the economics look like for your investors who invest with you that in turn go ahead and invest in other projects? Yeah, that's the heart of the business. You know, we got a deal. We say yes to the sponsor and then we're off and running and we're doing our thing. So, you know, it obviously extrapolates from the terms that we negotiate with the sponsor. You know, typically for that, we have a waterfall distribution schedule that's going to be paying a preferred return on our deals, especially development and new construction. We're looking at, you know, 10 to 15% as a prof to start and then obviously getting back our capital before the sponsor starts taking any type of uh, promote uh, profits for themselves as a catch up, right? So we want to get a nice, healthy pref with our money back. And then when we get to the point where we're at the waterfall, where we're seeing splits, right? Like you said, 75-25 or 70-30, we want to get to a point where the hurdle for our return is getting us in the high 20s to low 30s or above, uh, pending the risk, right? The further down the road I am on the start of the project, the higher my returns because the higher risk, risk entitlement, entitlement risk, development mm-hmm. risk, permitting risk, right? That's very, very risky. So from development right. to vertical, I'm in the mid thirties, right? And so that's the hurdle I'm getting with my pref and my my splits. And then mm-hmm. on the vertical, if we're coming in for another round of, equ- and that return is project through. On the vertical side, if there's another round of equity that the sponsor needs, let's call it a construction phase or a construction round of equity, and I'm going to raise, yeah, you know, risk entitlements out of the way, 
I'm not dealing with permits anymore. We got the permits. You know, we're relaxing a little bit more towards high 20s, just depends on the deal. And then that raise would come in separately and in conjunction with the separate raise from the development side. What I offer to the investors is um, I put together my documentation based off of those returns. And what I'm trying to strive for is a very similar structure in that I offer my investors a very high preferred return and I offer them their money back because given the fact that we're in a non-secured, non-collateralized type investment when you're doing syndication, the risk is you lose your money, but the reward is you're getting these very high returns. So how do I get my investors uh, an incentive to sleep well at night? I provide mm-hmm. them a high preferred. I give them usually a 12% preferred return. And that's an IRR compounded. You know, If it's a three-year deal, it's compounded. And then I get them their money back. And if I can do that, then I've done my job. I, I then deserve my catch-up. And that's what I mm-hmm. typically will take is my catch-up. And then based on the split for remaining profits, we usually do either a 60-40 split or a 70-30 split, let's say, in favor of the investors. It just depends. Mm-hmm. So that 12% pref with their money back with the split, that gets them that 15 to 20% hurdle return that they're earning. Most of these deals are you know, going through a development, new construction process. So they are deferred, meaning that they mm-hmm. don't get paid year over year. With a multifamily value-add deal, you could be making cash flow on day one, or you could be making portions of your catch-up or your cash flow in subsequent years with the catch-ups on the preps you offer. But at the end of the day, ours are typically deferred and, and are accruing so that when we get that you know first distribution or that final distribution, we go back and make sure we catch up through all those years that we were not paying out distributions to get the investors whole on that 12% pref, get them back their money. And then we see after our catch-up is made, what's left in order to do that split 60-40, 70-30. And so yeah. our process really is you know, get the project announcement out, usually a one-page document, get our summary of investments out, which is usually an 8 to 12 to 15-page document, which is what we produce. We'll start sending out the sponsor's information as well based on what they share. And then I'm on the phone with my attorney, you know, the next two to three to four weeks is building that private placement. In the interim, though, I'm getting soft commits from my investors, you know. And the way we do it is, let's say I'm raising $3 million for a project. I'll offer $30,000 units. So 100, 100 units at $30,000 a piece. You know, my partner, David, and I will take one or two or three each, and then we'll syndicate the rest of the investors. And so that amount coming in at the three million is usually general equity, either small LP or co GP. But you know the rest of the capital stack, which is what we you know call it, and you know that the capital yeah. stack is being funded with debt, usually fifty to seventy five percent of the total cost LTC. You know maybe some pref equity or mes equity coming in at you know ten to fifteen percent, and then the rest of the equity, let's say ten to fifteen percent, is broken up between us other private or general equity funds and the sponsor because we want the sponsor to bring in at least 10% as well, or we prefer that. And so that money comes in where, like I said, you know, we're stacked with the bank batting first, measure pref batting second, usually we're batting third, and um, that waterfall's dictated and delineated in the operating agreement that the sponsor has for the ownership entity. And then our yeah. PPM feeds off of that. That's great. One of the things that I've, I'm feeling from what you're saying is that you have a high focus on putting the investor first. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. So how important is that to you with, with your fund of funds business? Model? I will give you a, a really good example. Um, we're doing a project in Southwest DC, right on the waterfront. We did 110 condos with about 2000 square feet of retail. Uh, we got the land back in December of 15. It's supposed to be about a three, four day project. Well, with COVID and just the challenges we had, you know, we're actually just getting ready to exit this year. So we're at about seven, six, seven years in the project. So my, my partner, David, and I, we just said, you know what? We're not just going to pay them the pref back or give, give them back their profits or give them back their, uh, their capital and their 12%. We're going to get them their profits too, just because this mm-hmm. project won't wait too long. It went way beyond. And so we are getting the investors whole with their pref, their return of capital and their profits before our company takes any. And so yeah. in that scenario, you know, that shows you that, you know, we are paying out the investors first and we want to make sure that they get what they deserve. Not just they deserve, but just making sure they know that they are treated as the VIPs of the business. They are treated as, you know, folks we want to do business with in the long term. And we've done surveys, we've talked to investors and, you know, not to be prideful or pat on my back, but we get very good, you know, feedback that we're doing good, a good job and they're very happy with the performance and they, and they like how we're always available. So those are very important things that you got to do when you're on a business and manage yeah. that. You know, that's something that we value 100% as well. You know, mm-hmm. protecting our investors, making sure that the communication is there. I think all of that little stuff is what people really appreciate. You know, yeah. we have investors who are, you know, like you, you know, accredited or just busy professionals, and they don't necessarily have time to check in on lengthy emails on a quarterly basis or, right. or read long reports, but they want to make sure that they are invested with people who are going to be fiduciaries of their capital, first sure. and foremost. And that is so crucial when looking at operators, when anyone is looking for real estate investment opportunities is figuring out, you know, what's the character of the person that you're investing with? You know, that's yeah. something that's not talked about a lot in this real estate space, you know, from a perspective of just evaluation or just the talks about investing with people who you, who you can trust. I mean, that's what, right. you know, people are working hard, earning their money, trying to earn a decent return, you know, in this market. And it's imperative that you know who you're investing with and you feel good if, if things go wrong, which they do. I don't want to say nine times out of 10, nah, but that's, things, that's things happen, right? I've yeah. never had to do that when a hundred percent, you know, is planned, nope. but you want to invest with someone who has your back. You know, someone yeah. who's who can who you can consider to be a real partner. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That you're right, character integrity. It's all a given that you have to have that, especially when times are tough. Like you said, they projects change. You know, nobody knew COVID was coming. Nobody saw this. Nobody saw that. But as long as you have a plan and you always want to put stuff in writing, even though some of those emails may be long, you could always reference them. And that's why I love having Juniper Square now because you know you could just pull up the exact email and say, "Hey, here's when I wrote that." So. As long as you cover yourself and you have that, but yeah, the plans never go, you know, as expected. There's always going to be changes. You know, if we go back into the Bible and read, you know, the Exodus of the Israel, the Israelites from Egypt, if they took that straight line, they would have been there in about three weeks. But God took them through the desert for forty years just because He knew mm-hmm. the best path for them. So yeah. that's kind of how it is. As long as you have a, a plan and a solution for a problem, you know, people are going to ride with you. They're going to ask you some tough questions, but. If you can't answer them, you just say, hey, I'll get back to you. I have the great question. Let me get to the sponsor. And that's why it's great because we're a team, right? I look at this as a team. The sponsor, us, our investors, the project, 
we're a team. We want everybody to succeed. We want everybody to come out of this making money, great relationships. We performed well so that we can go off and do it again. And that's and that's yeah. what we're always looking at. So the person that's number one on the team is the investors, always, 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 always. Yeah. And they're always going to be number one. There may be yeah. some times where you have a difficult investor or someone that you got to really work with, but you know, you do the best you can. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. They may say, you know what, I'm done. I'm okay. Come back if you want. We'd love to have you back. But sometimes it doesn't always work out. Yeah. And you just got to be able to withstand that. Yeah. It's yeah, a yeah. big money business. You know, it is. I mean, it there's, is. there's a lot of great money to make, but more importantly, there's good people to meet. There's good relationships yeah. to grow. And then if you have that in place, the money just comes. Yeah. So true, man. So, so yeah. true. So talk about your projects that you're working on uh, in the yeah. Opportunity Zone yeah. space, right? We, we, um, yeah, we, we are. I haven't really, really been following a lot of the Opportunity Zone. You know, I think, you know, when Opportunity Zones first came out, it was so much talk around and people were excited. But I think as of recently, I don't really hear too much about it, right? Yeah. I haven't really been following it too much. I think I've heard at the end of 2021, there was some benefits on how you were able to defer some of those taxes on, um, you know, with your step up in basis. I think some of those benefits probably ended in 2021. I'm not an expert, but I'd love for you to talk about is Opportunity Zone still a thing today? Yeah, we could probably do a whole show on Opportunity Zone. I was happy to come back on and spend more time, you know, doing a deeper dive, but they are, they are, they uh, are still around. You know, there was some talk when, um, the current administration took over, they were going to get rid of them, but um, they've gotten a lot of support. The current administration was also talking about getting rid of 1031s, possibly self-directed IRAs, and they're like, no, we can't do this. So opportunity zones are still around. They were part of the 2016 Jobs Act, you know, had bipartisan support. The president brought it to the table. And yeah, they were very kind of unique at first. There was definitely some things that needed to be tailored up and regulated, which has made them better. There were some tax benefits when they first came out that have dropped off. The first benefit dropped off in 20. The second benefit dropped off in 21. So there's really no tax benefit as far as getting a reduction and paying taxes on the gain. But the way it works is, you know, you, you sell a property, a stock, uh, anything that realizes a gain, and um, you have the opportunity to invest a portion of that gain or all of it into an opportunity zone type investment. In contrast with 1031, where I sell a property, I invested a million, I made a million, I got to take the full two million and put it into something else or I'm getting attacked. In that scenario with an opportunity zone, I invested a million, I made a million, I keep the million I invested in, already post-tax dollars, and I made a million in profit, I'm going to put $200,000 into an opportunity zone, I'll pay the gain and the proceeding tax year for the 800000 but then I get the benefit of the OZ on the 200000 and the way the benefit works is that, you know, you get a, a deferment of that full, let's call it that 200 of the million you put in. You get a deferment of that full $200,000 for the first four years of the investment. So you're getting the full power of that money and the returns on that money in the first four years, which is amazing. And you don't have to pay any capital gains on that until year four, uh, tax year four of the investment. So if you come into an opportunity zone, let's say tomorrow for 200000 you won't be paying any taxes on that until tax year 2026. I'm sorry, tax year 2026. So you'd make your tax payment in 27. That's the first benefit. The second benefit is you get bonus depreciation. And you know how depreciation works on your projects. I get to write off my depreciation losses all the way through to when I liquidate. And then Uncle Sam comes back and says, hey, you got some 1250 recapture gain. You got to pay. Here's the bill. We gave you a kind of a, a write-off on, uh, on losses under depreciation for five, six, seven years. 
Now you got to pay some recapture gain. Guess what? What opportunities are you going to pay any recapture? So you're getting the full benefit of the depreciation loss on possibly rental income from that project that you're getting or on other, you know, rental income or income you're getting, you're getting that depreciation loss and you don't get recapture, which is benefit number two. Benefit number three is if I earn a gain and you have to stay in it at a minimum of 10 years. So if I invested on August 10th of 2022 and it matures on August 10th of 2032, any capital gain I earn on that project at the federal level is tax-free. And on the state level, unless you're in a non-conforming state, which there's a couple of them, California, Massachusetts, North Carolina, there's about five of them. But if you're in a conforming state, there's no state or federal capital gains tax on the profits that come out of that project, which is insane. And this is awesome. So yeah. you know, if you're earning rental income year over year, right, from cash flow, then you'll pay taxes as income. Again, you'll still have that depreciation to help you. But when you get out of the deal, when you get your gain on the profits, on the gain side, it's tax-free federal. And like I said, I think 40 to 45 states, it's tax-free state law. So yeah. great investment. It really is. And we've done two. Yeah. No, that's that's great. So is is the step-up basis still on over time no, or is, no, it, is yeah. that, is that so one the, of the things it, that were phased out now? Yeah. The step-up basis, okay. you had two of them in 2020. There was a reduction in basis at 5%, I believe, in the first five years. And then you had another reduction in basis, I believe, at 10% in year seven. They got yeah. rid of the 10% one in 21. So you still had the 5% or the 10. Let me think here. Hold on a second. No, it was 10 and 15. That's what it was. It was 10% the first five years. And then I think it was 15% in the seven years. So if you stayed in for seven, you got up to 15%. They got rid of that 15% in 21. And they right. just got rid of the 10% in 21. And the, and the 15% was taken out after 20. So 20, the 15% went away. And in 21, the 10% went away. So you no longer get those step-up basis anymore for the reduction in the gain. And that was really just, yeah. I'm going to be paying... 85% on my gain or 90% on my gain. Now you have to pay 100% in year four. Yeah, that's great for investors who are trying to evade the, the stock market right now. No, it's, just, it's, it's you know, feeling that stomach feeling when you have to, you know, you have to make a move or, you know, you just, you just can't stomach it anymore. I think yep. those are some really good opportunities. Again, I'm, you know, we've never done any opportunities on investing, but from a fundamentals perspective, you know, when we talk about wealth creation and preservation, I mean, it's a excellent vehicle to do that. So, yeah. Um, and, and so we're doing two right now. The first one we did back in uh, 2020, 2021 was uh, in DC in Southeast, yeah. which is a, an amazing project. And then um, we just raised another million dollars for one in Ohio. And the one in Ohio is neat because we get a tax credit. So the way the tax credit works, which is amazing, this is a state a state tax incentive to the OZ is if you're investing only in OZ properties in Ohio, you get a, uh, a tax credit on income if you're an Ohio state income earner. But if you're not an Ohio state income earner, you can get as much as 10% of your investment in the form of uh, tax credit, which means I could sell, let's say I bring in $250,000 into an OZ, I can sell up to $25,000 of my tax credit and mm -hmm. I can get paid $25,000 of income. Like yeah. you get a check, you get a yeah. check for 25K. Holy cow. That's, that, you know, that's, that's a double bottom line investment oh, right there. Yeah. You know, that's, that's great. You know, let's do that for every state. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we love Ohio. <laughs> oh, that's really great. I mean, yeah. I think that's just a whole different level that really a lot of people probably don't know unless you have that 
expertise in that market or the opportunity zone space, that is something that's awesome. And I, I, I didn't know that as well. So I might yeah. start looking at those opportunities. And the nice thing about us is that our funds, so we actually stood up what's called qualified opportunity zone funds that are going to mm-hmm. invest in, in OZ deals. So a little bit more of an expansion of the fund, the funds, these are actually $10 million funds. We've done one for nationally, but we're focusing in our areas and then one for Ohio. And we take as little as $20,000. And a lot of these investments, you know, don't start until 500,000 or 250 minimum. So we still want to work with um, investors that uh, would like to invest in these projects and at the same time have a a lower entry point to get their toe wet and be able to invest that $20,000 level. Yeah. And that's the beauty of syndications or just the laws that are out there today is that anyone can find sponsors or find opportunities that were historically only available to a certain group, right? Or a certain income class, right? And your company is doing a phenomenal job of providing these opportunities to everyday professionals. That's um, truly amazing. I appreciate it. Yeah. Most of our investors are business owners, high income earners, higher salaries, you know, just don't have the time. And so now I started doing this part-time when I was in the Navy for five years and now I've been doing a full-time four years plus and yeah, it's my full-time job and, and it's a, it's a blast. You know, I get to be a business owner and at the same time work with a great team, you know, go and do marketing and advertising. We blow up our website with all kinds of cool information. We not only share information about the company, but we also put uh, information about the markets we're in, why we like them. So yeah, we want to educate our people that want to learn more about us. You know, we're on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Our website gets a lot of good hits. We get a lot of business from that. We got a YouTube channel. I mean, this awesome podcast will be on there. So, you know, trying to get the word out to share and, um, you know, bring on as many people that I'm interested in and in getting a chance yeah. to do what we do. That's amazing. So, so John, tell me a time about when you felt stuck, frustrated in your journey to where you are today. Maybe it was a specific real estate deal or some breakthrough moment that you had to develop some systems. Maybe our listeners are going through some of the same things that you've gone through in the past. You know, can you share an insight on some struggle or some breakthrough moment that you had to push through? You know, it's a great question and um, I'll do my best, but uh, it's one that hits close to home for me. You know, for 42 years of my life, I'm 47, you know, I was around a very disciplined family, but business owners, my grandparents and my parents were kind of, you know, post, well, my grandparents were pre-depression immigrants. My parents were just post born during the depression So, you know, you could read The Millionaire Next Door, how that generation really treated money and how important it was and and working hard for it. And so I was around that pretty early in my life, taking then through eight years of Catholic school and and then four years of high school and military high school and then four years in a regimented Tata college and then the next 20 years in the military. So I was very rigid, very toe on the line, getting things accomplished, performance. And, um, you know, when I retired... I learned right away that when you know you're in the real world, it's not as kind of down the line that you were. You were a football player, yeah, right? Same you showed thing. Up, yeah, you showed up to your team meetings. You had your schedule. You know, you were in the defense or in the offense. Your coordinators told you what you had to do. You knew your plays. You knew if you didn't master your plays and perform, you weren't going to play. And you knew if you were the best at that position, you were going to be in the game every every play. So yeah. that's how it was for me. And so. Mm-hmm. When I left the military and realized that there's more flexibility, there's more kind of free will. You know, more free will, right? It wasn't so 
detail. And that, that took a lot. It still does because, you know, when you're riding a bike for 42 years and you fall <laughs> off, what do you do? You try to get on the bike and ride it like you were during those 42 years. Now yeah. it's different. You know, I was getting paid every two weeks from the military. I don't yeah. get that anymore. You know, yeah. I eat what I kill. And if I right. don't kill anything, then I'm not eating this month. So mm-hmm. it definitely was a learning curve to realize, okay, so <laughs> this is real. This is real. This is life. And, um, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not kind of in the military more. I don't have that security and stability, but I still got four kids <laughs> to go to college. So one of the things I do is I run this business, but I have other streams of income, right? Mm-hmm. I have other ways I can bring in income because if this, for some reason, turns off for a month or two, because it's quiet or, you know, we hit a little bit of a, a slowdown period or we're still... COVID going, happens. Yeah, COVID happens, which is huge. <laughs> right. Or we're not full cycle on a deal. Then I got this coming in, that coming in, this coming in, that coming in, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly looking at ways to build relationships first, help people second, and obviously see how it's worth my time third. And yeah. I think when you look at things like that and you want to get into real, real estate, is such an awesome industry. And there's so many different ways to meet cool people and still do well for yourself. Yeah. And that's how you got to look at it. No, that's one man that brings back so many <laughs> memories. You. Because, know. Uh, you know, when I retired, I was kind of like a lost puppy, right? I was trying to figure out, you know, how do I manage my time? What to do? I have so much flexibility. Everything is on me. And somewhat, you know, it started creating a little bit of anxiety. It did. And, uh, you know, I think that just comes from the background you and I were in, right? Or people who are listening today they might be in the same situation of just being in a certain structure or just, you know, maybe they quit their nine to five job and now they're out there on their own. But, you know, just coming back home and just figuring out, you know, I think for me was just the managing my time Mm. was something that was super crucial for me to get going in this business. Cause I spent a lot of time wasting time on things that really didn't add value to my business. Yeah. And that's really cool that you were able to push past that. So now that's um, great. You bring up a great point with time because that's something we can't get back. And yeah. um, we know that sometimes we wish we can go back in time and do things differently. But at the end of the day, it's really so many people just want to be busy, busy, busy. I think it's more being proactive, doing things that are productive, doing things that you feel a sense of accomplishment and fulfillment, right? Whether it's mm-hmm. um, spending time with your family, doing your work, you know, meeting good people. It's all part of this bigger process, right? And so I think when you look at that from that lens, you got to have balance. You know, you mentioned anxiety. I suffer from it too, brother. It's depression as well. And a couple of times, mm-hmm. and it's not easy because you just want to do and you want to perform, but you're just struggling because you don't know how to get to it. So I appreciate you for that saying that. It's important. People need to realize that this stuff just doesn't happen overnight. You're going to yeah. have an up and down and an up and down. It's just really how bad you want to stay on the horse or do you want to get off and try something different? There's nothing wrong with that too. I've thought yeah. about that a few times when it was really tough. Maybe I need to go get a job. Maybe I need to do something different. But you know, the mindset, balance, get away from the desk, go for a walk, get some time yeah. to relax. And you're not perfect. That's the big thing, right? We're not perfect. We're going to fail. Failure is good sometimes. You learn from it. Yeah, that's 100% agree. You know, Golden nuggets there. So talk about your new Opportunity Zone deal in Ohio yeah. that you were working on or just some development deals in your pipeline and and how listeners, if they're interested in investing with you, how can they find you today? How can they follow you? Yeah. How can they get in contact with you? Thanks, Yannick. I really appreciate it. We're doing some exciting stuff. You know, we're investing in development, new construction, multifamily, mixed use uh, here in the D.C. area and in the suburbs. We have a great project down in Richmond, 180 unit apartment with some retail space out in Frederick, Maryland. 
We just raised $5 million for two projects under the fund, one in Charlotte and one in Fairfax, 10 minutes away from my house. We just raised a million dollars for, excuse me, Ohio uh, Opportunity Zone deal. Small project, about 45 multifamily units, development, new construction, and a really great location in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, we, yeah, we raised about a million dollars. So we're excited about that. So to date this year, uh, about $6 million raised in the portfolio. We got some really cool projects in the, in the pipeline, two in, in Charleston, looking at one down in a second round of investment in our Fairfax and Charlotte deal for construction equity, another opportunity zone deal with the same sponsor up in Columbus, $24 million purchase of a, a shopping center where we come in on day one getting income on an opportunity zone. You know, the, the government just approved the $53 billion CHIPS Act, which is going to bring significant investment. Intel's opening a huge factory in, in Ohio, so that's going to bring more business. Again, more business, more people, need more housing. And um, yeah, we're always looking to talk to new sponsors we can help. You know, we, we really like to stay in the development and new construction uh, asset class just because we get higher yields. But some of our strategy is starting to shift where we get into a development and new construction of, let's say, the apartments I mentioned in Richmond around Frick, Maryland. And then when we get to the liquidation, we have the option to come out making those development and new construction profits, or we can stay in, possibly mm-hmm. get back maybe a, a, all of or a portion of our investment capital, and then leave the rest of the money in the deal to get cash flow. Yeah. So we bring in $3 million, Let's say we make $3 million in profit at liquidation. We take $3 million that we invested out. We keep the $3 million profit in. Don't have to pay capital gains tax. We're starting to earn 100% return now on that $3 million in profit. And we get the appreciation returns on the three million, which could become four million, let's say in ten or fifteen years, to then pay capital gains ten years out after getting all that cash flow and depreciation write-offs. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of exciting strategies and things we're looking at. And the beauty about us is by becoming an investor with us, you can go to our website. It's just uh, jidinvestments.com. You can share that in your notes. We're on LinkedIn. We got about seven hundred followers. Facebook. We got a YouTube page. But if you just go to our website, you could pull up under our investment services. We have an accredited investor questionnaire. Basically, we just allow you to go through it, fill it out, let us know you're accredited. We don't validate that or verify until you do your first deal. So you have the opportunity to come on, see some of our deals, get the opportunity to participate. Nothing obligating you to do anything, just to get to see some of our projects, get the chance to potentially uh, invest. And then uh, if you want to come in on a deal, it's game on. We're going to walk you through everything, make sure you have what you want, you need. And, you know, come on board to potentially invest with us and uh, hopefully come on for a great ride and make you some good money and uh, you have fun while you're doing it. That's really good stuff. Really good stuff. So thanks, John, yeah. so much for uh, being a guest on our show today. We dove into, I mean, fund the funds, due diligence, all of the nuts and bolts of the benefits of passive investing. So thank you so much for My being pleasure. on our show. It was show. an honor being on with you. Thank you. Yes. And thank you to the listeners today for tuning into today's episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. Let's take action today and be great. And also remember that real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. So run your own race. Thanks again, John. Thanks for having me.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.